Welcome back to another episode of the Dunkin' with Dom podcast. Micah, we're officially a week away from NBA returning. It's good to have you back on. The NBA is back, and I can say that I am ecstatic, as always, obviously. But this season in particular, it feels like when we look at both conferences, the parity in the league feels like it is kind of an all-time high because you can make the argument right now we have anywhere from six to ten legitimate contenders and going into seasons past that's a number that's sky high especially for the nba so as we've as we've hinted multiple times in our previous pods we're finally doing it it's prediction season this is technically the first of a two-part exercise because we're going to record this in two separate instances we're doing the over-unders, and we deliberated, like, what's the conference to start with? And we're going to start with the Eastern Conference, warm us up. There's a lot to unpack. I guess general rules, we'll try to keep it four to five minutes per team, but there are some teams that will deserve more conversation than others, shall we put it? The, I mean, real quick, before we even begin with doing the team-by-team breakdown, when it comes to analyzing the totality of the Eastern Conference, what's kind of the most challenging thing for you? When it comes to the Eastern Conference for me, it's about that five through, call it ten range when it comes to ranking those teams, not only in how I feel that they're going to end at the end of the season, but how they're going to perform right at the beginning of the season. A lot of these teams have pretty tough schedules right out of the gate. I'm looking at Atlanta. I'm looking at, to a lesser degree, New York, obviously, but coming back from this past season, how did the Bulls respond? How... So your other teams, for lack of a better reason, obviously the Sixers, do they make a big step forward opposite them? Is it going to be the Miami Heat taking a step backward when you go from having one starter on one of those teams to now a player who is going to be starting on the other team, as well as trying to get all the guys healthy, get them on the same page and see whatever kind of magic they're able to make? I told you this before the pod. I think the biggest challenge is the Eastern Conference has the most teams that have just d- different situations. You've got teams that were super good last year that heading into this season have a lot of question marks. You have teams that were decent last year that either made improvements or have shifted to a rebuild. And more importantly, the East had so many off-season kind of uh, off-season uh, influence, if you will. The Kevin Durant sweeps takes, uh, the decision to keep Kyrie, both of those in Brooklyn, uh, James Harden and kind of a retooled roster in Philly. We'll get, of course, with the Celtics, with all of the off-season drama with them. Miami, kind of the stamp pad off-season. Every contender and even every tier two player in that 5 to nine ten range has something going on. And we haven't even mentioned a team like Cleveland yet where it's like, okay, like they were super good last year. How much better of a leap are they going to make given their town? So there's a lot of question marks there. We're going to jump right into it and begin with the teams that have the most projected wins and we'll go down the order. Uh, I think we should start with the team that's favored to win the most games. It's also the team that has got the most controversy, the Boston Celtics. They are 55 and a half wins is the line. So in other words, if you're taking the over 56, under is 54. Their under is minus 152, the over is plus 115. The way we'll do this is we'll alternate. So Michael, you will pick first, I will uh, deliberate back, and then you will give some final thoughts, and then we'll move on to our next team. But Boston, 55 and a half is the line. Where are you going with? I'm going under here because I don't think they're going to finish with the top record in the Eastern Conference. I actually think a team that we'll get to later has as strong of a bet as any over in the entire league. But I'm going Boston under for three main reasons. First off, they are coming off of not really a full offseason. When you come back from an NBA Finals loss, you were already 
minusculing your offseason. Not to mention, they had about as bad of a September right before the start of the season as you could possibly imagine. They lose their starting center, likely until the first of the year. They lose their starting, obviously, their head coach, as well as the fact that this team, outside of really their top two guys, Tatum and Brown, are they really going to have the other guys for much of the entire season? Al Horford is already dealing with some of his ankle issues that he has gone through over the past few years. He's also not expected to play every night this coming season, especially after the long playoff run that they had last year. Their top-end talent is about as good as any, but when you look at the way that Malcolm Brogdon is going to slide into this team, the fit does make sense, but what it actually makes a lot more sense for is him coming off the bench in more of a reserve role. So I like this team to come close to and probably hit the 50 win threshold but 56 or more is really pushing it and when it comes to preseason over win win totals and over unders that's higher than any team was last year so do i think that they are better than i viewed any team going into last season no i don't but they're still absolutely an eastern conference contender and we'll still be talking about them among the East's elite come the end of the season. The, uh, I have the, also an under. I mean, I, I think 56 is a little high. I agree with you. I think if they're 52-53, that's more realistic. I think the challenge with the Celtics is the question marks with this team. Because on paper, before September hit, when we were at the end of August, we were like, okay, they made improvements to the roster. Everyone's healthy. They can actually took the the strong end of the season they had last year and move it into this season and kind of just take over the league. And instead, you you, you have the issues with Al Horford's regression, which is going to happen. He can't play 35 minutes a night. You have the lack of depth on the roster with the Williams injury, with the Gallinari injury, and now you're going pretty shallow and relying a lot on Tatum and Brown to really carry the load there. But also, the Ime Odoka thing can't be understated. You are going from... Arguably one of the best first-year coaching campaigns in league history, given the Celtics made the finals and had a complete turnaround under his watch, to all of a sudden now you've got this 34-year-old who's never coached an NBA game in his life and was not even the top assistant the year before because Will Hardy's in Utah. And you're saying, all right, you got to now basically rally the troops here. And and there's also other chemistry issues. Like, for instance, the Jalen Brown rumors when he was in the rumors for Kevin Durant. You've got... The Marcus Smart, there's always a factor with him. Like, I don't know. It's too many question marks, too many concerns. Are they a good team? Can they win 50 games? Yes. Can they top to 56, 57? Given how tough this East is, which is a common theme for this episode, is the parody in the East especially, I'm not going to go with the I'm taking the under on this one. Yep, moving on. All right. Next team, uh, Milwaukee Bucks. 53 and a half. Also, we should clarify, after this episode... Toward the end of the pod, we got to give our top two or three best bets and some of our stayaways. But Boston, for me, is kind of, I would say, is a stayaway just based on that line. It's a little little too high for my taste. Uh, Milwaukee, plus 53.5. The over is minus 11. The under is minus 118. So, in other words, it's a flip of a coin here. I'm going to go – this is a tough one for me. I'm going to go a slight over. And the reason why I go with this is you have – you still have Giannis Antetokounmpo, best player in the world – You've got this team now that is going to be fully healthy to start the year. Because remember, last year toward the end, lots of injuries. You kind of have the same core moving forward. It's basically the same theory as what happened with Boston, except there was no drama in the offseason and no injuries to the roster. If you're looking at this team, they are built to be in the re- a regular season win, a regular season powerhouse. And I would argue, 
given how tough the East is, I would actually want to try in the regular season and go for a better home court. So if you're Milwaukee, you want to make a name for yourself and kind of tell all these pretender teams that, no, we're actually the real deal here. So I'm going to go with the over on this one by a hair. I like it as well. I like the over here, not necessarily by a hair. I like them to go over by at least a handful of games, maybe even pushing 60 wins this season. For many of the reasons that you just mentioned, coming back with the best player in the world on more of a revenge season than we've seen him in quite a while, actually. And then the other idea that I like here is not only the fact that they have their big three fully intact, the other thing that they have going for them this season that they have not had in the past they added a lot more shooting to yes. the depth of this roster when it comes to some of their international guys as well as Joe Ingles that they brought over. He is going to be able to slide into that George Hill role that they have needed more so, but just have not had guys that have been healthy as much. So even if Joe Ingles is coming off of that ACL tear, you finally get Brooke Lopez back and healthy. We saw the stark contrast between how they looked for much of the regular season last year defensively, where they were still really good, but they were not the number one defense like we knew that they instantly became in the playoffs when they had Brooke back in that deep drop scheme where you're able to block a ton of shots at the rim and you basically just dare teams to beat you from three. It hasn't happened much over the recent years, but it's one of those formulas that works perfectly in the regular season because you don't play playoff teams and great teams every night that can kill you making 15 to 23s a night. So I like this team not only to go over, but healthily go over and bordering lock. Yeah, the the two thoughts I've got left, one of which is what you echoed, but it's crazy how in the past two seasons that Giannis has been the third or fourth banana in the MVP voting behind Jokic and Embiid, even though we know Giannis is the best player in the league. The, the, the MVP hangover was there. More importantly for the betting line, I feel like the playoff hangover was there. People were too into the... Boston kicked the crap out of Milwaukee in Game 7. Look at all the roster weaknesses. When in reality, you have to argue if Middleton is in that series and Lopez is healthy the whole year, how does that break out? And you've just got this fully loaded roster ready to go. They addressed their biggest need, which is shooting around Giannis. So I'm taking the over as well. This leads then to an interesting pair of teams here, shall we say. How about the Brooklyn Nets? 51.5 is the line. And this is honestly... This is a tough one because similar to the Bucks, the over is minus 111, the under is minus 118. So it's another flip a coin. You can see it go either way. So, Micah, at 51 and a half, where are you putting the Nets at? This is probably one, like you mentioned, that I'm staying away from. But if I have to lean one way or another, I'm going slightly under. Wow, this okay. could totally be one of those ones where they win 51 games and you're just kind of crying at the end of the season if you actually happen to bet the over. I'm just not sure how many games that this big three is going to actually play together. It's one of the reasons why I'm so skeptical. We know that in theory, or at least on paper, when they are healthy, they should be great. I have not seen much of them play it all together in the preseason. Ben Simmons, again, looks like a guy who is going to hype up his jump shot and then not take a single one, which now he actually has rationale for not needing to with all the shooting around him. However, this team, outside of those guys, I really don't think is that good on paper. I think that losing Bruce Brown in the offseason is actually something that's going to come back and hurt them. I also believe that this team is going to be older outside of those guys, and it's going to hurt them as well. Steve Nash is still a coach that I don't trust. I expect this to be one of those teams that have one constant and one panic button to hit, which is Kevin Durant dropping 40. 
at this age, as well as the fact that they think I think he's going to need to do to do it every night in order to hit that over. This is one of those ones that I'm going to stay away from. But you put a gun to my head, I'm going under here. This is so tough because last year Brooklyn won 44 games. So you have to ask yourself: Do they win eight more games minimum for the over? And I here's the thing. My original analysis was the under, but I'm actually going to take the over here. This is our first disagreement. And I don't know what it is. It, it's similar to like if I had to put a gun to my head, I honestly wouldn't be able to decide. But I'm going to lean the over because of this. They still won 44 games despite Durant missing a chunk of last season. Now that the Kyrie thing is resolved, and more importantly, he's on an expiring contract, so he'll actually have an incentive to give a crap. And Ben Simmons, you have now a fully healthy in theory, ready to go Ben Simmons, I think that's worth eight wins. You, if you have Kyrie who's motivated and you have Ben Simmons who needs to prove himself again, the workload for Durant is way less. And also, you bring back Joe Harris who is critical to that scheme in terms of the three-point shooting. You keep a lot of the good depth that they had from last season. Other than Bruce Brown, they basically got the same team moving forward and Ben Simmons is the new hyper version of what Bruce Brown brought to the team. I'm going to take a slight over. I do have concerns, though, about Nash. I second that entirely. I do have concerns about Ben Simmons' future career. Kyrie Irving's always a kind of an unpredictable wild card there. And, of course, there's a concern with Durant both with the injury, but also, okay, he requested a trade for two months and nothing happens, and we've got to rebuild this chemistry. Those are all valid points. I'm going to take the over, and this, this is exactly as you put it, a, a clear stay away. All right, who do we have next? Uh, Philly. This is actually one of my best bets. This arguably might be my best bet because it's at 50 and a half. The over is 125 and the under is 110. This is a clear over. I mean, I don't, you, you're, you're technically – no, I'm, I'm technically picking first. I'm taking the over on this one hard. You've got a fully rejuvenated Joel, uh, James Harden. You've got Embiid with a healthy offseason ready to go. You've got him on the – I've been MVP runner two times in a row. This is my prove-it year – if Philly, this is the year Philly can win 58 to 60 games and potentially be the best seed in the Eastern Conference. You've also got the argument, which I don't know if you agree or disagree with. On paper, it may not be the most talented roster of the Embiid era. I would argue 2018, 2019 was better. But if you're looking at the fit of all of the top nine to 10 players on this team, this is a perfect team almost, given their resources to build around Embiid and their second superstar in Harden. You put Tobias back in the tertiary role where he, he truly belongs. You get legitimate playoff guys who can also play big 20-plus minutes in the regular season. Philly, as an over for me, I was super happy with their offseason. As a Heat fan, I was super concerned that Philly made all these moves and they're looking really good so far in the preseason. This is an over, and more importantly, this is a lock for me. Okay, so lock is a strong word. I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet with this team, but I am also on the over. For many of the reasons that you just mentioned, this, like you said, is probably not the most talented team that Embiid has ever been a part of, but I think that it is the deepest. You mentioned they go 9 or 10 deep, and they have at least two guys they trust at every position. One of the more forgotten signings of this offseason is actually Trez going to this team, who represents kind of a different big than you've ever seen Embiid be able to play with as his backup. You mean DeAndre? You mean he was better than DeAndre Jordan? Is that what you're trying to say? Well, not only is he better, he's not even in the same. It's shocking that DeAndre Jordan is still in the NBA. Yeah. So he is better. So, yeah, for many of those reasons, I am also on the over here. I also like the fact that we're going to get a rejuvenated heart in this season. And if I were to rank my top players most likely to win most improved, 
Tyrese Maxey might be number one because Maxey this season is going to be put in the workload of a legitimate number three. You mentioned Tobias, but I think at this point, Maxey has clearly usurped him for that role. Tobias is going to probably start falling back to earth and they're going to have a legit hierarchy on the team of their one, two, three, and even the fourth option with Tobias. Those are things that you can basically just lock in right now. And Tyrese Maxey, he was one of the best catch and shoot players in the entire league last year. I expect him to not only get better there as well as get better as a cutting and slashing guard, which is something that he had to work on kind of understanding how to move alongside Harden that's something that they now have a full off season as well as I think they're going to dominate the season. This is something that I'm on the over and I can confidently say that. I think the most important piece besides Harden and Embiid is easily just the bench. Like I was a huge fan of the Shake Milton trade. I was a, like people also forget too like the Harold signing is a good example. They just made under the radar moves. I love the Daniel House uh, signing as well. They got PJ Tucker of course as kind of like some bench depth slash 20 minutes a game as a starter especially in a playoff context, but you also have to look at, like, now Matisse Thibel has a clear role off the bench to play 10 to 15 minutes lockdown defense, and you've got shooting around him. You are able to take Danny Green, who's basically out for this season almost, and replace him with a rotation player. Forkon Korkmaz, who was critical for Philly in previous years, was playing injured apparently all of last season, and you've got him now fully healthy after wrist surgery. They're just healthy, locked and loaded, ready to go. This leads now to arguably one of the more challenging ones, arguably one of the more painful ones as a Heat fan. Miami, the line is at 49.5. They win 53 games and were the number one seed in the East this past season. But obviously the concern is the lack of offseason entirely. Missing on the Mitchell and Durant sweepstakes. Basically re-signing all of their core minus P.J. Tucker. Uh, Micah, where are you going with this one? Okay, so I think the 49.5... I first thought about it, and it was a clear under to me. I'm still going with the under, but this is one of those bets where I think that Vegas probably has it almost right on the money. I I, I agree, too, yeah. This is a team that still has a lot of the pieces that brought them to the Eastern Conference Finals last year and ultimately were the number one seed, even throughout the entire tumult of the Eastern Conference last season where they constantly were being overlooked as just this almost – favorite that was just hiding in plain sight given the fact that their record was so strong they are going to once again have one of the best defenses in the nba and once again their question is is tyler hero ready to be the number two scorer on a team of this caliber given the fact that he just got the bag this offseason oh, so, oh, oh he did <laughs> oh he did yeah whether or not you think he was worth that money or he was going to get that money elsewhere, which it's very likely that, that he would have. Well, yeah, quick, real quick just, on that because we did a pod. Uh, quick loser on this quietly. How about the Warriors? Because now if you're Jordan Poole, you got to be like, all right, so Golden State, you're going to pay up on that or no? <laughs> so that, that might be a... Uh, oh, you can do an entire podcast on what has gone down with the Warriors over the last five days, especially given the fact that they are going to have some serious questions to answer next season when they can really only pay one of Poole, Wiggins, and Green. So at this point, yeah, we're hearkening back to the Miami Heat, who I actually am going with the under, like you mentioned. I don't think that it's quite as a hammerable bet as probably you believe, but this is one of those teams that's going to have still a high floor given the fact that they play incredible team defense. I also think that they are a team that could land Jay Crowder once again. He was a big part of that Miami Heat bubble run. And is it 
too early to rule out, you know, Duncan Robinson returning to the level that he played at two seasons ago. He, he was pretty good in the preseason, so I mean... He, uh... He's played well in the preseason, yeah. So there is, re- there is reason to be bullish on this team, but the cap ceiling as well as the fact that I just don't think that they have the top-end talent of some of the other teams that we've mentioned in the Eastern Conference, it's really hard to take them seriously as a contender, even if they are probably going to have, once again, a pretty strong regular season. So I'm on the under on this for two reasons. I agree with you. It's kind of – I made the case on a previous pod about just previewing the Heat. Number one, this season reminds me a lot of the, the 2020 to 2021 season where they basically stood pat. They they banked too much on health and continuity. And at the end of the day, they got killed in the regular season, were barely a sixth seed, and got smoked in the first round. I, and Miami's system banks so much on a stretch four. Like, if you look at who the fours are on this team, it's Bam Adebayo if you play up a position. It's Jimmy Butler or Max Struess or Kayla Martin if you play down a position. And then after that, it's like Omer Yurtsevin, maybe, but that's a little big. Like, there's no true four on this team that did what Tucker did. And Tucker was really good in the regular season. He played a lot of minutes, had a career year from three. The other thing, too, though, the reason why I'm going with the under, all the arguments in favor of Miami being good next season rely on injury and health. And people are making an assumption when they say, well, Bam Adebayo only played 56 games. He'll be back fully healthy. Butler only played 60-something. He'll be back fully healthy. Lowry only played a little over half the season. He'll be good to go. With You can't make those assumptions. I, I think given especially Lowry and Butler's history, you can't just say, oh, because they were injured last season, they won't be injured again. Like, that's just not that's unrealistic and kind of too optimistic to believe. So as a result, that's the reason why I'm taking the under on this one. Yeah, not to mention, we think that they're just going to run it back with the same core, which they are. That core was already on the older side last year, and I don't expect them to just instantly become a juggernaut. Yeah, no, totally agree. So this leads now into the sixth seed, or the sixth best odds in the conference, which is Cleveland. The ball's in my court now to make a pick, and it's interesting because... The under is actually at plus 125 and the over is minus 161. So the betters are saying take the over at at the lack of value. The line is at 46 and a half. And I want to make the case for the under because it's a lot more value. But at the end of the day, this is a clear over. Cleveland went a 42-win season this past year. That was with, by the way, Garland doing a large load and being basically hurt the last third of the season. Mitchell solves a lot of the weaknesses from Cleveland this past year. We haven't even mentioned Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, who are both all, who are both basically all-star caliber players this past season to an extent. Uh, they've got a lot of depth this year. They're looking to make a push. I, I think they could be a 47-win team at, at a bare minimum. Like That's middle of the pack in the East. That's a really realistic projection. It fits that narrative of, they're in. They're one of the favorite guys with higher upsides in that five to ten range. Cleveland's a clear over for me, arguably a lock, just because I'm I'm really high on Cleveland. But at the very least, it is an over on my end. Oh, it's a clear over on my end. You mentioned the fact that obviously Mitchell joining the team assesses a lot of the issues that they had last season. Yes, it does. They actually do now have a lead scorer that can go get you 30, 35, and actually match another team's best score in the playoffs. So you check off that box of just needing a go-to bucket, especially out of the back, in the backcourt. So you check that box. One of the other things that you're coming back with this offseason, 
people forget that not only that was a 42-win team last year, that team was the number two defense in the league for the entirety of the first half of the season, really until they got hurt. Well, and more importantly, it was like a good number. It wasn't like the Knicks defense from a couple years ago where it was super fluky, they got lucky. It was actually like they just had the personnel and they kept all the personnel. They have as much length on this team as you could possibly want. Now you add in a legit guy who... We had mentioned this in another pod is a long shot sneaky bet to actually win the scoring title this season, given the way that a lot of other teams, besides maybe the Dallas Mavericks of Luka, are going to have to temper their expectations because they're all adding similar pieces. So I do like that. I also, the really one question for this team, and which is why I also still have them as a lock on the over, who is that fifth starter? Is it going to be Karis LeVert or is it going to be Isaac Okoro? For offensive purposes, obviously you like Levert more, but for me, I would just love the fact that if they can have Isaac Okoro in there, who two seasons ago, and not even this past season as well, he has been consistently one of the seven best at his position defending wings and making them reroute. So even in the East where the top wings are going to be Durant and Tatum, once again, most likely, those are two teams that a lot of people are going to pick to have this team even ahead of them. So if you're able to scoop up some of those points that you may have in terms of the end of the game where you're looking at the score and it's basically like 110 to 105. Why? Because the other team's best player is better than yours last season. No, that's not really the case anymore because they've added a borderline superstar. And still, this the ceiling is still sky high for Evan Mobley because you put him on film right next to Kevin Garnett and you're like, I don't see the difference. The other thing, too, with this team, I did an article for them with the lead, and the one case I made was you could stagger Garland and Mitchell. So now you've always got one elite creator at all times in the court. You more importantly have the double-edge effect of not only do you add Mitchell, but you uh, reduce the scoring, the offensive capacity, and the offensive role that Garland had, which means you're putting less pressure on him. You haven't factored in Mobley's improvement. Allen is not going to be poised for any regression whatsoever. And even then, you still got Karis LeVert, Kevin Love, uh, Dean Wade is, looks really good off the bench. They still have Isaiah, uh, Isaiah, uh, Isaac Okoro. Like, they just have so many guys. And more importantly, you kind of alluded to it. It's kind of a similar situation with a couple other teams. They also do have some pieces to make another move, especially if they actually are really good. That's got to factor in as well. So this is a clear over for me. This next team, however... This is a tough one just because you can go either way with this. I I have a feeling where you're going to go, but I want to hear your thoughts on the Atlanta Hawks at 45 and a half. This is an interesting one, to say the least. Well, I'm not sure if interesting would be the word that I would use to say this team. I would say overhyped is probably the number one thing. That's what I meant by interested. This is a a very uh, media-friendly team, shall we put it. (laughs) I have been openly pessimistic on this team for really two different reasons. One... When people say that this team has a big three, I think they're talking about like a big maybe two and a quarter because the idea that John Collins is instantly going to become a player that he has not been or the fact that DeJounte Murray is instantly going to make this team one of the top offenses in the league, I also disagree with. I think the idea that you're able to just take the ball out of Trey Young's hands for the first time in his career and expect him to become a Devin Booker or a Bradley Beal or one of these guys that has thrived as an off-ball scorer primarily, that to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I also don't think that Trey Young is that good of a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. So all of the skill set that you need for a secondary guy alongside DeJounte Murray 
that's not really what Trey Young has when it comes to people thinking that those two complement each other the same way that I would think Garland and Mitchell do. I don't put those two backcourts in the same sentence. I also don't think that this team is going to be good enough up front. Clint Capella has not played a full season in three years. And the idea that I think that this team is going to become just one of the best teams in the East, I can't put that in my vocabulary yet. This is something I'm going under, and I actually don't like them to even make it out of the play-in. I think that there's arguably seven, if not eight, teams better than them in the Eastern Conference right now. So here, here's the funny thing. I, at the start, when I did my prep, I actually had them as an over. But because if you think about it, they were a 43-win team, and their line for the over was basically, can they get to uh, 40? Can they get three wins it, with the improvement of Murray and everyone healthy? But here's the case for the under. If, if you're doing the math, both of us have Bucks, Sixers, Heat, or Bucks, Sixers, and Cavs all as overs which means that they're going to get a lot of wins. If you're also looking at it, I've got at my end, the Nets is an over. So at some point, there's only so many wins to go around. I still have the Nets well ahead of the Hawks in the standing. Yeah, so you've got four to five teams who are clearly better, which means do I think Atlanta is a guarantee to be the seventh or sixth seed in the East? And the answer I would go with is a no. I think DeJounte Murray is one of the most overrated players in, and when, just because he has the all-star label, quote-unquote, and because he put up empty numbers in San Antonio, the Spurs' offenses were horrible in terms of the team statistics. Every season, Murray was there. I, I'm, I'm like you. I think the paper, on paper, Murray and Young are a great fit, but you also have to look at it from, okay, that's on paper, but Trey Young's a ball-dominant player. DeJounte Murray in San Antonio was also a ball-dominant player. You don't have a case here like Kyrie and Harden where – even if they're both ball dominant, Kyrie's at least a good catch and shooter, a great slasher, great cutter. Harden's also to an extent good at that. These are two players who both need the ball in their hands to be effective. The The case for it, though, would be, do you think DeJounte Murray's worth a minimum of three wins? And do you think DeJounte Murray solves the Hawks' biggest weakness last season, which is it consistent with the Hawks? Uh, how, does, how does the team do when Trae Young is not on the court? I think to an extent, yes. But you also get more value on the under two at plus 100 compared to minus 125. I second it. I think it's a classic case of he was one of the all-star players that was quote-unquote there. He was moved in the offseason, new situation. But just because it's new doesn't mean it's necessarily better. And that's why I'm going to second it with you barely by a hair. I'm going to take the under as well. Okay, moving right along. Who do we have next? Uh, th- okay, I'm not going to lie. This arguably could be the toughest one of the night. Uh, Toronto, uh, 45 and a half. Basically the same as Atlanta. This gets into your uh, thesis statement of ranking teams 6 through 11 or 6 through 10 in this conference is like, you know, pulling hairs out. It's really, this is a tough one for me at least. So this is a tough one for really one reason. How much of a jump do you think that Scotty Barnes is going to make? Because if Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Fleet are still your 1A, 1B on this team, that's not a good enough roster to actually compete with some of the teams that we already know are going to be ahead of them. With that said, this is a team that I do have ahead of the Atlanta Hawks finishing the standings because I think that they just have enough in the way of 6'8 to 6'10 talent in the, in the league. So, yes, you're going to be able to employ a lot of different positions, a lot of different ways you can attack defenses. I also really like the Otto Porter Jr. signing this offseason. So is Scotty Barnes the next Giannis Antetokounmpo? Probably not. The way that people mentioned him in the same sentence 
really during his rookie season was a bit premature. Do I expect him to take a jump towards star level? Yes, I do. I think that this team, they're still going to be well coached. They still have one of the best home courts in the league. And they still actually have a vaccine mandate there, so that's gotta I mean, matter, right? We gotta we gotta factor everything in here. On the wrong night, man. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, Kyrie can't Kyrie can't play there. So those Nets Raptors matchups at least will contribute to a couple wins. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I like the over here. Um. Oh, this is tough for me because they won forty eight games last year. They got deeper, but you also have like, is Siakam gonna still be a All Star caliber player? Does Fred Van Fleet take a slight dip because he played a lot of minutes last season? The Barnes question is so damn hard to decide. I'm going to go with the slight over, though. Uh, I mean, you, you have – I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. They're arguably the deepest team in the league, maybe not in terms of superstars, but they've got a lot of guys that can play. And I think last season that wasn't necessarily the case. That's why they traded for Thaddeus Young. It's why they got Aldo Porter Jr. They just need a bunch of bench guys to come play 10 to 15 minutes a night and work their butts off. Nick Nurse is a top three coach in the league for me. It's another, uh, I think this is one where the, the betters got this right because you can make a case that maybe Toronto's still good, but if they didn't really improve, do they just regress by a couple wins? Like, do they go from 48 wins to 43? It's likely, but I, I don't think it's enough to say that they're going to drop by three wins. I think, I think they can get to 46 wins. So I'm also going to take the over with you. This leaves me on the clock now, and that means, oh, the Chicago Bulls. This should be a fun one. Uh... 44 and a half wins. Uh, I'm going to put my notes in. So, Micah, you go first. Uh, Chicago, 44 and a half. The overs plus 125. The unders minus 161. So, going to the offseason, aside from the Utah Jazz, this is actually the team that was the favorite to land Rudy Gobert. And if he had gone there, then I would have hammered the over and would have expected it to be higher, more in that projected to be the fourth or fifth best team outside of really the top elite teams in the Eastern Conference. So, this becomes a lot more difficult for me because I think that they punted on the offseason and it's probably going to come back to bite them. We were ranking our top 25 players just last week and I had DeMar DeRozan in the top 20. You didn't have any player on this team in the top 25, which historically speaking, the idea that you're going to be able to be a competitor in one of the conferences without a player where you even put the all-star tag on them. Nonetheless, no team with a superstar is kind of a foreign concept. I also think that Nikola Mirotic, or excuse me, Nikola Vucevic is going to, well, it's probably a good thing that I was able to mix those two up given the fact that I'm making a case for the under. This is a team that I am more pessimistic on because I don't think that they're going to be good defensively once again. Even if they are able to get Alex Caruso back and actually have him play, this is still a team that I am out on. I think that they are not one of the best coach teams in the league. I think that they really struggle at the point of attack defensively, and they really don't have much in the way of slowing down teams, whether it be a best wing or a big or even a guard that's able to shift and run a lot of different coverages. They are good, but not great offensively, and I think they're going to be once again bad defensively. So this is a team that I am out and taking the under. This is what arguably in the case for a top three lock. I'm taking the under on this, and here's why. They, I don't know if you knew this, but they actually entered the postseason, besides the Pelicans, as the one of only two teams to make the playoffs but finish with a negative point differential. The Pelicans shouldn't have been in the playoffs because if Paul George plays in that game, they probably win. Uh, the Bulls were a sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference is retooled from the top down with those one through eight seeds. 
Levine is an injury concern. The Bulls were also one of the best clutch teams, which is very well known for them. You've got a regression candidate with both DeRozan and Vucevic. This Lonzo Ball thing is horrible. Chicago can still be a 500-ish team. Like, they could be a 10-9 seed play and mix, whatever, but... I don't think I have anything more to say. I think this is a clear under. There's just too many things weighing against this team for them to have even a remotely close to the 46 wins they had last year. There's no – like two wins doesn't justify. They're going to regress to the mean hard on this. I also think for better or worse with them, the East is stronger this season than it really has been for much of my entire lifetime. So that obviously works against them. And in this case, I think that they're obviously hitting the under just like you. Okay. This should be a fun one, given their offseason. And by offseason, I mean their, their one very sneaky move, but also their one uh, move that happened about a couple days before free agency began, the New York Knicks. Uh, 38 and a half wins. This is a case where the betters uh, put this, I would put, I would have this line around, I would have the Knicks around this range. They won 37 games last year. So at 38 and a half, it's a, it's a coin toss really to go either way here. So I'll, I'll let you go first on this one. This is a close one. I think that the Knicks are primed to actually be one of the most improved teams in the league this season. I think that Jalen Brunson has been a player who's, for lack of a better word, probably paid correctly. A lot of people think that he was overpaid this offseason. I think that he got the bag that he deserved as well as I think he deserves as well. He's kind of the missing piece that this team has actually needed, which is a legit engine out of the backcourt. If they had had prime Derrick Rose, obviously I would have thought about them as a completely different team two seasons ago. But when you have a team that is kind of still on the fluky end defensively, but still has some of the pieces that were able to turn them into a top 10 defense. And now you have a legit engine offensively. I really don't see the reason why this team should be right in the thick of the middle of the Eastern conference, because I still consider them to be one of the more stout teams top to bottom. And do they get, you know, five wins better from last season after they really fell off a cliff and kind of came back to earth? Yeah, I think they do. So I don't know if the argument is that strong for this team, but this is one of those ones where, yes, the Vegas probably got it right, and it's probably right around a 500 team. But if they are able to get there, then that's great because that's the over. So are you, are you taking the over on this one? I am, yeah. All right, our second disagreement of the evening. I'm going to take the under on this one, and here's why. Similar arguments to the Chicago Bulls, but it's a classic case of the teams in the middle of the pack as you alluded to in your theory, either stayed the same or all got better. And there are teams that regressed and didn't do anything. Chicago's one of them. And as much as I love the Knicks, there are tons of question marks with this team. I, I don't like the fact that you are playing Brunson, Randall, and Mitchell Robinson potentially all together on the same court. You've got RJ Barrett, who's the second best shooter in that lineup, but he's more of like a, he's, he's not really a high volume catch and shoot three point guy. You've also got the fact that their defense could take a step back this year again because now you're starting a small guard. I don't think the Randall renaissance is ever going to happen again. Can they be a playing team at 37 wins, 36 wins? There's a likelihood of that, but I don't see them hitting the 40-win marker. This is basically saying, do the Knicks – is Brunson worth a win and a half? I think there are more – I think there are more negative uh, negative routes to take, if you will, based on what their team looks like for this season than positive ones. And I think I'm going to take the under on this one. I, I, was, I was confident in the Knicks last season kind of regressing back to earth. I think there's always the factor of 
big market New York Knicks bias that also needs to be taken into account too. That's why I'm going to lean the under here, but I don't know. It, this is a, this is a, another one of you got to put your, this is a stay away clearly to put a gun to your head. Like, what do you kind of do here? Yeah, I agree. We just flipped a coin and one of us got heads and the other got tails. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Charlotte Hornets. Oh, this is a good one because of the, the Miles Bridges thing makes it so tough. I think that makes it a stay away alone because – I mean, we're going to go on the assumption he doesn't play this season, but he was so valuable for this Hornets team. Their under, by the way, is also the biggest favorite odd out of this whole list in the East at minus 143. So clearly they're out, but the line is at 37 and a half. Yep, 37 and a half. This is probably right on the money. I don't expect them to be much better, if at all, than last season. They're going to have that lingering Miles Bridges issue just as a storm cloud right over the top. That's one of the reasons why I think this is going to fall solely on the shoulders of LaMelo Ball. Does his career go in the in the path of potentially Jason Kidd-ish? He already has the jump shot. I expect that to continue to get better. But at the end of the day, this is just a team that lacks talent outside of really two or three guys that you can say those are legitimately good NBA players. They still don't have much in the way of any front court anything. I also expect them to be bad once again defensively. I think that I probably stay away from it, but leaning one way, I go under here. I mean, we have one question for you. This is probably a really easy one to do just because I think there's just a lot more regression that can happen here. But uh, thoughts on this Miles Bridges thing because we, I think we talked about this like, what, two or three months ago, and we're kind of still in limbo here. I mean, I, I think – Given the whole thing with Robert Sarver, Ime Udoka, those have kind of taken the headlines here. But if you had to make a case of what's just more of the jaw-dropping thing, we really haven't seen a Miles Bridges situation in the NBA, at least in over a decade. Like, this is a, given the restricted free agency, given the uncertain future, given how good of a player he was, uh, you know, I, I think this this is a very precarious situation. Yeah, I mean, how good of a player he was... He's probably going to get the same money that, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich got a few years ago, where he's in that 18 to 20, sometimes maybe a team that throw 22 million at him, and he's sitting pretty. But let's not act like they are losing an all-star for the rest of the season. He's a guy who started out really fluky shooting the three last season, and then he fell off a cliff, and then he was about normal in terms of where he probably should be. So, yes, he was legitimately their starting wing, but they let's not act like they are losing an all-star playing that position. Yeah, I, couldn't, I mean, couldn't agree more on that. So this leads then into the next team. This is actually a fun one because it involves the Bradley Beal contract where I think there's actually a case that this is one of my sneaky bets here, but the Washington Wizards at 35 and a half. This is another one. I think it's on the money. I'm actually going to take the over here. And here's why this Wizards team actually has some depth this year. Like they've got a quality starting point guard. Barton's a good six man slash starter. You still have Kuzma, Porzingis, fully healthy. I, I feel like they can just be a 39 win team, especially Beal will play the whole season. Like they, they've actually got a core and the bottom of the East is really competitive. I could see a world in which only one or two teams finish below 26 to 27 wins just because there's a lot of parity, as you put it. This is one of my favorite bets. I'm, it's not, I would say it's a, a favorite in my head and not a favorite to bet on. But I'm going to go with the Wizards at, at, at least 36 wins for, for this season. Yeah, I like it, and I do agree here. This is one of those teams where 
I see it every year where I look at the league and I go, this is a team that should be as good as I think it will, and it's basically the Washington Wizards this season. Is Bradley Beal going to be back to almost winning the scoring title? And we had this discussion whether or not he would have been the worst scoring champ ever. Thankfully, you know, Steph came in and sealed it, so we didn't have that have that really uncomfortable conversation. But looking ahead to this season, I think that they addressed some of their issues, which was having an actual playmaker in the backcourt. Monte Morris is going to get another chance to start. Whether or not he's, you know, an above-average starting point guard, probably not. But is he all that this team needs in order to get to that win threshold? They're already a team that came back to earth heavily this past season, and We've seen what Bradley Beal is able to do if he has a legitimate playmaker that can also space the floor alongside him. He is one of the best one-on-one players, especially in space. Is he a guy that gets back to that scoring title run? I think that he does, and I think that this is a team that confidently hits the over, even if it's by a few games. Oh my god, yeah. I, I wrote you know it's funny because we've been crapping on the, the, the wizard the Bradley Beal contract like for an eternity now, but ironically the Wizards actually have a competent team. Story, yeah. yeah, but they actually have a competent team this year, so I, I like it. So let's move on here to Oh my god, I don't even know what to do with this one. The Detroit Pistons at twenty eight and a half wins. I'll be damned, man. It's oh my god. They made the Bogdanovich trade. They, Kate Cunningham's young. I mean, what are you, what are your general thoughts on this? 28 and a half. The unders more likely at plus 110. The overs at minus 150. This is another one where I could see it go either way. Because if the Pistons have a horrible start to the year, they're going to embrace the rebuild and play the young guys. But I can also see the theory of them just being a 30-win team. The Jazz traded away Boyan Bogdanovich for Kelly Olenek. They just cut Saban Lee two days ago. So, yes, this team got a whole hell of a lot better this offseason. And do I like them to hit them over? Do I like them to hit the over as well? Yes, I do. I think this is one of those dark horse teams that could actually, if I were to make a bold prediction right now, I think that this team survives the play-in and actually makes it to the one through eight field in the Eastern Conference, even if they get there and they get waxed in round one, which is probably likely if they are to make that. But, yes, I do expect this team to hit the over. For all the reasons that you mentioned, I'm still as high on any rookie this past season as, as past season as Cade, Cade Cunningham. Ugh. I think that he has all the tools to be basically a light version of Luka Doncic to be able to run one of the best offenses in the league year in, year, in, year out. Boyan Bogdanovich is really the first true floor spacer he's gotten to play with in his time there. Sadiq Bey is also getting better as a ball handler. I think that some of the reasons why we had this issue with them this past season is they just didn't have any kind of floor spacing nor any big in a pick-and-roll situation. They have addressed some of those needs. I also like Isaiah Stewart. Yeah, I think that this team hits the over in kind of a thicker Eastern Conference in terms of that 6-12 to range, but I think that they, at the end of the season, are going to be one of those surprise teams. Our third disagreement, or no, our fourth disagreement of the night, or no, third, third. We'll, we'll keep it at three for, for the rest of the pod, but I'm going to go with the under on this one. They had one of the worst two-way play, like, if you're just looking at it, like, who were the bottom ten offenses and defenses? Detroit had one of the three worst offenses and a bottom ten defense. I don't think the acquisitions they made necessarily help that. They have too many, I think they have a case of, Cade Cunningham's really good. They have a lot of potential where I think in two years they could be really good. 
But we're, I, I think personally, this line is relying too much on that potential capitalizing this season instead of two years from now or even a year from now. So I'm going to take a slight under on this. I also need to do the thing of like, Two of these teams in the East have to be horrible, and there's a, a third team that we haven't talked about yet, which I've actually got an interesting take on, but I think the Pistons here are, are an under, but it, it's close. I think there's a lot of upside with this team. I was also a really big fan of their offseason, which I think we hashed out too. Yep. Uh, two more teams left to go. Orlando Magic at plus 26.5. This actually is one of my best bets, by the way, because the over is minus 133. The under is plus 100. And I really like the under on this one. Yep, I like the under on this one as well. I think that people are falling in love with this young core too much just because they believe Paolo is going to be some kind of generational talent. If there's one generational talent that is just looming like another storm cloud over the NBA right now, it's Victor Wambanyama. And one of these teams in the Eastern Conference is going to have to punt on this season as soon as they start to hit some early injury rows. This is another one of those teams that is a candidate for that because how good is Franz Wagner? Pretty good. But would they like to turn him into Victor Wambanyama and have a legitimate, you know, Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, Paolo, and Victor? Yes, obviously. This is one of those teams that could very easily just punt on the season because they realize that they're kind of out of things to start. And they also have kind of a difficult schedule to start this season. I also believe them to be one of those teams that is still lacking any kind of an identity when it comes to young teams trying to figure out their ways in this league having a legitimate starting point guard that can run multiple different kinds of sets is probably the most important unless you're going to think that paolo is going to run away with this rookie of the year and he's going to be already one of the 30 to 40 best players in the league at the end of the season this is not one of those teams that i am in on i am also hammering the under well, it's also a case of like, look at all these young guys they have. Like, they're gonna surely like they're they're banking too much similar to Detroit, but unlike the Pistons, I think the Pistons have a lot more upside. Other than Paolo, by the way, and, and Wagner, like, what's Jalen Suggs' future in the NBA? Is Wendell Carter more than a, a, an empty stats guy? Like, can he actually make a two way impact? Like, there's there's too many concerns here. This leads into our final team, which is the Indiana Pacers. This is actually one of my sneaky favorite bets. Definitely not one of my favorite favorites, but. The line is at 23 and a half, and I actually like the over on this one. I, I think Indiana, I think that's too low. Like I think they could be a 27-win team. They're, they're, they have Rick Carlisle as their coach. They're clearly not going to trade Turner in the middle of the season because they haven't done it for half a decade, and I'll stick to my, my words on that one. They, they've got, they still got like a very deep roster, which even though there's no like upside players or you know guys with tremendous superstar potential they've got quality guys they've got Tyrese Halliburton for the full season now I, I kind of like the over on this one the math just works out in my head where I think they can get 24 wins at a bare minimum I like it as well I'm probably going to go under though okay for the same reason where you just look at this team and you go is the Miles Turner move going to happen I think that in fact it does because this team realizes that the same thing that the Orlando Magic realized, that Victor Wambanyama is out there, and if you have an opportunity to grab a guy like him, you basically look at him and you say, is he the future face of our franchise? At a bare minimum, the answer is yes, but is he going to be a bust, or is he going to be an all-time generational talent like a lot of people expect he is going to be? I am damn sure going to make it, at least he is going to be that experiment on our team. So, 
if you have a chance to land a player like that, which I fully expect him to be not necessarily as good as he is projected to be, which is an all-time great automatically, he is going to be walking into the league as one of the three or four most hyped prospects ever, the other three being LeBron James, Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Zion Williamson. So that player is out there, and some of these teams are just going to have to say, we are not going to be good this season. We already understand we're undermanned and under-rostered. Let's just punt on the season and see if that guy is going to save our franchise. So we got through this exercise, and again, we did not deliberate this beforehand. We had 11 of the same lines, and the only four disagreements were Nets, you had the under, I had the over. Uh, Knicks, I had the uh, under, you had the over. Pistons, I had the under, you had the over. And then Pacers, uh, under and over uh, for you and me, respectfully. Uh, last question for you before we wrap up kind of this first part of our over-under lines. Uh, a, how fun was this exercise? And B, more importantly, what's the biggest takeaway as we kind of approach the season here in a week? Well, obviously, this is a very fun fr- exercise. You do it at the beginning of every season to kind of gauge your interest in specific teams when it comes to just your league pass rankings. If you know there's not a hugely important nationally televised game, when you just look at the rest of the slate for the night, you're like, okay, that is a team that I just fall in love with because they're able to run offense. It's fun. Or they have certain defensive pieces that I just look at and enjoy running that specific type of scheme. And then secondly, my main takeaway from this exercise is just the fact that you and I are on the same page so much. (laughs) Yeah, right. If you were to ever have an NBA debate show, I think that one of us would have to just call up a third person to come in and have some blisteringly hot takes because we would just agree too much well here's the thing i think the reason why we agreed so much i think this will actually be different for the western conference and the reason is i think with the eastern conference we know the projected ceiling and floor of a lot of these teams like we know there's a clear top two to three in the east then there's a drop off and there's like that four to eight and then there's everybody else in that nine to 13 14 range in the Western Conference, I think when we do that, there's a lot more question marks because you've got guys returning from injuries in Denver and, and with the Clippers. You've got like teams like Phoenix, Golden State, Memphis. Like, Are they going to repeat the same thing again? They had bigger moves with the Gobert trade. The Lakers kind of staying pat with Westbrook and getting some other guys. Like, there was The Eastern Conference had equally as much mobility, but I feel like we had a better sense in the East of what the hierarchy looked like. Yeah, I agree. And then the Western Conference, to your point, has a couple of really slam dunk contenders, if I even use that word. But then there are just so many questions between really like the top two teams and that three through 10. Whereas in the East, I feel like it's more of a six through 12 where you have that many questions. Well, the Western Conference pod will come the day after this pod. But Micah, it was good to have you on. And obviously, we're going to have the part two of this. And we're going to be looking forward to doing more NBA coverage with the season kicking off in about eight days as we're recording this. It was good to have you on again. I appreciate it, man. Have a good night. I'll talk to you tomorrow.